Hi, how are you? We're Frenchman. Hola, Scene. On. 6.15 in the morning and we're going to work out. <laughs> Let me do that again. Scene. S. S. C. E. Scene. Scene on radio. Yeah, yeah. Everything all right? Scene. On. Radio. Good, come on. Yes, come on. Stay over it. Stay over it. Down. Good. If I still want more speed in the beginning, you still, you still, you're trying to get too comfortable. I want, I don't want you comfortable. I want you uncomfortable. This is Seen on Radio from CDS, the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. It's a show that asks, what's it like, and leaves the studio to find out. I'm John Bewin, and here in episode four, more of our series following athletes and fans around and looking at the role that sports plays in the lives of us everyday people. Does the whole sports thing bring out our angels or our demons? Sports are a big deal in our culture. Top athletes become household names right alongside the biggest movie stars and politicians. Americans spend hundreds of billions watching sports, building stadiums, buying gear to do it ourselves, more than half of all American children play an organized sport at some point, so it's a big part of school and family life. Something that pervasive has to get mixed up with all the social movements we're in the habit of caring about. And sports does. It can be on the leading edge, pulling society along. See Jackie Robinson integrating baseball two decades before the Civil Rights Act. Or sports may just reflect what's going on in the wider culture, as in the explosion of women in sports starting with Title IX in the 1970s. At other times, the sports world seems to lag behind. Take the National Football League, struggling to get its mind around the notion of an openly gay player here in the 20-teens. In this episode, sexuality. In particular, sports and the gay woman. All right. Hey, how's it going? There's a lot of talk these days about the rapid change in attitudes toward LGBTQ folk. Young people especially are supposed to be pretty much over homophobia. But then why is it that even on college campuses, out gay athletes, male or female, are still pretty rare? Okay, so this is indoor track. Um, here we compete and train for indoor season. And I absolutely love this place. I pretty much fell in love with it through Skype when my coach showed it to me. Tall Ben Artsy is showing up for her afternoon workout. We're at Penn State University in State College, PA. It's late March. The indoor track facility is cavernous. It looks like a very long jumbo jet hangar. Athletes on the women's and men's track teams are scattered around the building working on their events. Hi, Coach. I'm good. A little sore. Those 200 yesterday? Yeah. Um, today we're going to have a practice that starts with hurdles, and later we're going to high jump. After that, uh, I have a long jog. Set, go! Come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, quick, 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 get, come on. Tall and her coach, Fritz Spence, work on the hurdles, along with one of Tall's teammates. Come on, speed. Come on, run off it. Run into it. Come on. I grew up in Kibbutz Gazit, which is a small village in northern Israel. 
Um, I'm a daughter of Nomi and Yoel. If you ask Tal about herself, she'll say she's a 22-year-old sophomore, a couple of years older than most college sophomores. Because in Israel there is mandatory service, so I was in the Navy for two years. She'll tell you about her future plans. Um, I definitely want to go to grad school and study developmental and child psychology. She'll talk about her sport. I'm on the track and field team, which is the reason that I came to Penn State. And I compete in the multi-events. The multi-events are the ones that demand an insane diversity of athletic talents. For women, it's the pentathlon indoors, and in the outdoor season, the seven-event heptathlon. On the first day, we have 100-meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meters. And then the following day, we have long jump, javelin, and 800 meters. So that's tall. Oh, and if you ask about her sexuality. I think it was maybe around twelfth uh, grade or beginning of my Navy service, I came out to some of my friends, some of my family as a bisexual. Um, I grew up in a family that was very, very accepting. I remember both my parents told me that it doesn't matter who you love as long as they're a good person. So they always said it doesn't matter what color they are, if it's a boy or if it's a girl, or if they're pretty or ugly or whatever it is, as long as they're good people and they're good people to you. And I never really understood why they like said that for me it was obvious. Yeah, it's if it's a nice person, it's a nice person. But then suddenly when I realized that I am attracted both to males and females, um, it was so much easier for me. And I knew that I could say it, you know, on a dinner table and they'll be okay. What else do you want to share? Where, you know, what's next? Tal didn't know what to expect, though, as an openly bisexual student athlete in the U.S. She might have been wary if she'd looked at the history of women in college sports and at Penn State in particular. It, it was a... We were a closeted group. I mean, we lived underground for the most part. We all knew each other, you know, was, but it, you just didn't talk about it. Sue Rankin worked at Penn State for 36 years. She's now an independent consultant. Before Penn State, back in the 1970s, she played softball and basketball at Montclair State in New Jersey. There, she says, things were pretty comfortable for a lesbian athlete, at least within the confines of her sport. So on our team, everybody knew everybody else. And within our the physical education department, kind of where I worked, everybody was pretty open. There wasn't really any silencing. I don't think that I can recall. There wasn't anything negative that ever happened that I can recall because I was queer. And did nothing ever. I never had any negative experiences until Penn State. Right out of college in 1980, Sue became the head softball coach at Penn State. The job gave her a painfully close-up view of a long-running scandal. No, not the Jerry Sandusky child sex abuse disaster in the men's football program. This was another sports scandal at Penn State that got somewhat less national attention. Sue Rankin was hired by the late Joe Paterno. He was Penn State's athletic director, as well as the iconic football coach for 45 years. The same day he hired Sue in 1980, Paterno made another hire, a new women's basketball coach named Rini Portland. Here's Sue again. What's funny is, you know, I was out gay coach, but everybody knew that. It wasn't like a big secret. I swear every gay kid at Penn State found me. You know, it didn't matter if they're an athlete or not, but they wanted someone to talk to who had a similar experience or could have as they did. In my second year coaching, uh, my shortstop came in, two athletes. One was my shortstop, one was a point guard in the basketball team. They were dating, and she was very upset and said that the coach said that if she finds out that they're gay, that she'll dismiss him from the team. 
I'm like, huh? And so you sure you heard that right? That women's basketball player was the first in a long line that would traipse to Sue Rankin's office. One or more almost every year, she says, for decades. Each player terrified that her coach would find out she was gay. You know, these are women whose lives were forever changed because of the homophobia of one coach. And to be part of that crucial part of an individual's life is really important to us. And those of us that coach at this age group understand that responsibility. That's footage of Rini Portland from a documentary film called Training Rules. It came out in 2009. The filmmaker, Dee Mossbacher, interviewed many of Portland's former players, including several who'd been forced off the team for their perceived sexual orientation. Lisa Falloon played for Penn State in the 1980s. It was in that first team meeting, freshman year, and Rini explained to all of us that we weren't to talk to a lesbian, and if we were a lesbian, she specifically said, I will take your scholarship away, and you will never play basketball again. It's amazing to me it happened for 30 years and nobody did anything. Sue Rankin was a campus gay rights activist as well as the softball coach. She says she tried and tried to get somebody to take action. Oh, I talked to everybody. Athletic director, I went to the provost, I talked to the presidents, all of my the colleagues I had on the commission, the task force, the LGBT task force. So anybody I could talk to, I talked to. Back then, there was nothing in university policy or Pennsylvania law that banned discrimination against gays and lesbians. Maybe I should have done more looking back. Could I have done anything more than I did? But I really was trying to protect the kids. I was trying to protect the athlete because they wanted to play. And I said, if you want to play, you need to be quiet. Rini Portland's abuse of lesbian players continued long after it was publicly known. In 1986, Portland was quoted in the Chicago Sun-Times saying she always brought up lesbianism with her young recruits and, quote, I will not have it in my program. The article was not an expose of Portland, the homophobic coach. The reporter was quoting her approvingly. The thrust of the Sun-Times piece was that homosexuality was a threat to women's sports. In particular, the article warned of lesbian coaches taking advantage of their players. Stories of alleged sexual misconduct and the public perception it created have tainted and overshadowed the advancement of girls' sports. That notion of predatory lesbian coaches who might turn their players gay has long fed what women in sports knowingly call negative recruiting. Coaches telling players and their parents to steer clear of some schools. It seems Rini Portland was an avid practitioner. Pearl and Lambert Harris, whose daughter Jen played for Portland a decade ago, told this story in the documentary Training Rules. When we took our final visit to Penn State in terms of recruiting, Coach Portland asked Jen where she had narrowed her final two visits down to. She said Penn State and the University of Virginia. Then she said something that really kind of bothered me was that if you're interested in Virginia, you couldn't possibly be interested in Penn State because at Virginia, they date girls, and at Penn State, we date boys. Five years after the Sun-Times article in 1991, the Philadelphia Inquirer again brought up Rini Portland's intolerance of lesbian players. Portland also has an unwritten rule of keeping lesbians off her team. This time, students in support of gay rights started protesting at Penn State games. University officials decided they needed to do something. 
They brought in an expert on sports and sexuality, Pat Griffin, and required all of Penn State's coaches to attend her workshop. Sue Rankin, the softball coach, remembers that Rini Portland was the last to show up for the session, along with Joe Paterno, who was probably the most powerful man not just in the athletic department, but in the whole university. Joe walked in with Rini. It was very obvious he was protecting her. That's kind of what came across, at least to me, so I'll say this is my, my observations. Um, near the middle of Pat's discussion, Joe kind of asked for questions, and Joe raised you know, you have no idea what Rini's going through. And I'm, I'm losing it, right? So Harry's got one arm and Russ has the other one. I'm, I'm trying to get up and say something. And they're like, just sit here. I'm like, no, I got it. So I said, I said, look, you have no idea what it is for us who are gay in this community to have this homophobic coach have done this for so many years and nothing ever been done. My voice was probably shaking and I actually left the room after I said it because I couldn't stay in the room anymore. We knew that because of Joe's power that she wasn't going anywhere. And she wasn't. Rini Portland would keep her job for another decade and a half. Sue, on the other hand, was in trouble. Her performance reviews started turning negative. An associate athletic director called Sue in and suggested she stop her gay rights activism. And she said, you need to cease and desist. I'm worried about your career. In the fall of 1995, Sue went in for her last meeting with the two women who headed the women's athletic program. And they said, um, you know, either you turn your program around or you'll be gone at the end of the year. And I'm like, what do you mean turn it around? My team's winning. My kids are graduating. What other expectations do you have of me? And I said, this may have nothing to do with I'm gay or everything. And they literally moved back in their chairs. I mean, like, yes, I remember this, 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 this conversation. They moved back in their chairs. Sue resigned as softball coach at the end of that year. She moved into a non-sports job at Penn State, where her sexual orientation was not a problem. Finally, in 2006, one of Rini Portland's former basketball players, Jen Harris, filed a discrimination lawsuit along with the National Center for Lesbian Rights. The university settled the suit, and Portland resigned in 2007. What matters is she's gone, and at that point, there was like a veil that lifted from Penn State. Um, Allison Sebasic, director of the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, and Ally Student Resource Center at the Pennsylvania State University, and we like to call it the LGBTQASRC because it's just easier. <laughs> so, Allison says when Rini Portland left, the new women's basketball coach, Coquise Washington, made it clear from the start that she's just fine with gay players on her team. She contacted me when she first got here, and we had a very you know, quick lunch, but just to put things on the table that we're moving forward and things aren't going to be the same. More broadly, the athletic department at Penn State, like some others across the country, has made a concerted effort in the last few years to say out loud, it's okay to be a gay athlete here. If you can play, we want you to play at Penn State. Penn State is committed to fostering an empowering environment for all LGBT athletes, coaches, staff, fans, and their allies. Most of Penn State's coaches and the athletic director and university president took part in this video made last year for the You Can Play Project. It's a campaign aimed at getting homophobia out of sports. Yeah, my name is Sandy Barber and I'm the director of athletics at Penn State University. By the way, Sandy Barber is one of just three female athletic directors in the top tier of college sports programs. I think it is up to leadership. 
And it is very important to me um, that our head coaches consistently send the message to our student athletes that this is a safe place for them, for whatever their beliefs or their sexuality is. And um, is that unanimous in the department? You think among your coaches? Um, <laughs> I'd probably be foolish to say yes. Um, that, that that's a unanimous belief. Um, uh, I certainly hope that that is how we are acting uh, on a day-to-day basis, although I'm sure there's some work that needs to be done on that. How much time, Amina? How much time? The man standing there with the white hat is my coach. That's Coach Spence. All right. What are you guys waiting on, Cal? Back at the indoor track at Penn State, with Tal Benarzi and her event coach, who she works with daily. Fritz Spence, my name is Fritz Spence. Uh, I coach the women's long jump, triple jump, women's high jump, and women's uh, multis. When recruiting Tal, Coach Spence talked to her in Israel via Skype. She says she never thought of bringing up her sexual orientation before she arrived in State College. You know, mentioning that I'm bisexual would be like mentioning I had lunch yesterday. Like, okay, who cares? <laughs> it's not really that interesting, so. Just uh, in the middle of, of a freshman year, she, we, we usually communicate a lot, and she, she kind of she told me and, and, and asked me what I, th- I thought about it, and I was, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, you can be whoever you want to be. I mean, it's fine with me. India. India what? McCoy. I am a sophomore at Penn State. <laughs> what do you do? I'm a high jumper. What do you know about Tao? Tao, I know she was in the Israeli um, armed forces or something, the army. And she is one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, she's always trying to bring our spirits up and always trying to help us out and make sure we're okay. She's really smart too. Uh, do you know that she's she identifies as bisexual or? Yeah. It was actually a surprise to a lot of us. Um, she didn't really say anything about it. And um, last year, people just started finding out. And they're, I don't know, I guess they were surprised. I didn't really think anything of it. Maybe if it was in the past, maybe like 20 or 30 years ago, people would have thought something about it. But we don't really like see her as standing out or like very different in a bad way. I kind of actually forgot about it. So it's just like normal. Um, And I didn't think about it at all coming here. I knew that I'm hoping I'll be able to be myself completely, but I had no idea that Penn State are so accepting and that there is a center, like the LGBT center. I had no idea about that. I had no idea there's pride weeks in the university. And I definitely did not know that in each and every one of my classes, the professors in the first day of class will say that if somebody will speak in homophobic language, they'll be in big, big trouble. I had absolutely no idea though that I'm going to a place like that. The sports world has been one of the more stubborn bastions of homophobia. I guess because it was just so freighted with gender for so long. Until a few decades ago, most people saw sports as somehow inherently manly, a straight guy's thing to do. If you bought that idea, then a gay male athlete was just kind of unimaginable. And women athletes were suspect, under pressure to demonstrate they weren't gay. When I was at Penn State last spring, 
tall Ben Artsy was by all accounts the only publicly out gay athlete at that huge university. Allison Subasic of the Penn State LGBTQA Student Resource Center. I'm sure that Tall is not the only gay, lesbian, or bisexual track athlete at this university. I am positive there are more, but Tall is the only one that is out. So that, to me, says we still have work to do. Tall herself says it's too easy to talk about people being simply out or not out. She knows other gay athletes on campus, women and men, who are out to at least some teammates and friends. It does seem the sports world is making strides, along with the wider culture, moving in the direction of seeing sexual orientation the way Tal does. Who cares? It's not really that interesting. If you can shoot, you can shoot. If you can bring heat. If you can make it rain. If you can snipe. If you can dunk. You can hit it pure. You can stick it. You can bend it like Beckham. If you can play, you can play. You can play. You can play. You can play. If you can play, you can play. Next time, sports, families, money, and the not-so-level playing field. It does get expensive because you got to pay the entry fee, and then you got to pay for socks and pads and cleats, cleats and traveling. traveling. And I mean, there have been plenty of nights when I've questioned, why in the world am I spending this amount of money to do this set of things? Thanks to Mike Hansen and Maxim Pohl for lending their voices to this episode as the newspaper reporters. Our sports series, Contested, is made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit sceneonradio.org to listen to other episodes and to subscribe to the podcast. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at sceneonradio. Scene on Radio comes from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University.